simple title here. I want you to say this. He bore our shame. Okay, I'm going to, in our principal text, Genesis 2.25, 3, 7 through 10, uh, I want to talk about the subject of shame this morning. There are a number of different approaches to that, 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 that subject. Uh, one you might hear in church is uh, a sermon that decries the, uh, the lack of shame in contemporary society, which is a concern, you know what I'm saying, because there are things 50 years ago that people would be shy and, and have some kind of shame about that now they don't seem to care about. But that's not what we're talking about. Uh, I'm talking about the kind of shame that we carry in our hearts and our minds and our souls. Uh, and let me help you understand exactly where I'm coming from here. Let's talk for a moment about guilt versus shame. Guilt versus shame. Because there is a distinction. Now, guilt has to do with debt. Guilt has to do with, it's an emotion that we feel that, that stems from transgression or of an accepted standard by some definitive and voluntary, you know, volitional act on our part. So guilt has to do with what we've done or what we don't do. You know, we talk about sins of omission, sins of commission. We pray, Lord, forgive us for the things we've done and for the things we haven't done. Guilt is a, a term that describes the, the interaction we have with our behavior in a legitimate sense. In other words, whether we've failed to do something right or whether we've intentionally done something wrong. Guilt simply says to our conscience, you made a mistake. You did wrong. And you know what? Guilt has a very important place in the landscape of our, of our thoughts. Amen? Shame is something different. Some of you know more about shame than others in this room. And some of you, as I say this, it will resonate with you in a certain way because of what you've gone through in your life. And because of the way maybe you've perceived religion, because of the way that you've uh, interacted in relationships with people, because of some of the d dynamics in your family. Guilt is the objective feeling of, of, you know, we have done wrong and we stand culpable for our action. But shame has to do with covering up or, 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 or hiding because it's, it's tied to our being rather than our doing. Shame doesn't just say you did wrong, you messed up, you made a mistake. Guilt says that. When I'm guilty, I'm guilty, right? It's like when you go in there and your, your kid has milk all over his mouth. He said, did you, were you going to eat? No, I wouldn't, you know. You know. Guilt is when you, but shame is a, is a different thing. Shame doesn't say you did wrong. Shame doesn't say you were wrong. Shame says you are wrong. You are a bad person. You are bad you are no good. You are not to be trusted. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You're inadequate. And you know the, the term they, and some of you, when you were a kid, you know what they would tell you? Shame on you. There's a place for a little of that. Because we shouldn't be proud of our misdeeds. We shouldn't be, shouldn't gloat in our, in our iniquity. But the shame I'm talking about this morning is is that judgment rendered against us within ourselves or by others or spoken over us that says it's not just that you have done wrong and that you were born a sinner, that you have made mistakes, but it is that you as a person, you are, you are to be 
uh, you're, you're not to be respected. You, you should be ashamed of yourself. You should, you know, basically go somewhere and run and hide. Lewis Smeeds, who was a former professor at Fuller Seminary, he defines shame like this. He says, a vague, undefined heaviness that presses on our spirits dampens our gratitude for the goodness of life and slackens the free flow of joy. I raise this this morning because I, undoubtedly in any group of people like this, there are a number of us who have dealt with issues of shame in our lives. You say, how do you know that? Because I know that I have. I was praying through something and working through something in my own heart recently, and I began to realize that the root of my problem, really, of this particular problem, really had to do, and the Lord helped me to see it really had to do with shame. And it took me back to things that, that were said to me when I was a child. It took me back to ways I was treated when I was a youngster. It took me back to the, to the worst punishment I ever received as a child for some, was for something I had not done, which traumatized me in a certain way and made me afraid of my father for the rest of my time going up, too. I, thought, I started thinking about the, the way in which the enemy has, tries to use that in, in my life, and I thought about people I know, and I thought about the people I know that are, that are, that are, that are putting on a false front and constructed a false persona and and sometimes you really know them but you have to really work hard to get behind that because they are so intent on 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 parading before the world an image of who they are rather than being free to be who they really are parading for the before the world an image of who they would like to be a person who is free of whatever shame that they carry along with them you know what i'm talking about uh, shame will will put you on a kind of of of, of hunting expedition uh, in your past, shame is always looking for the, the mistakes from long ago. Shame will cause you to be, uh, to, to hyper-scrutinize all the things of, that you've done in the past. Shame will keep you dredging up the same issues from 20, 30, 15, 5, 10, 10 weeks ago. It doesn't matter because if your sin has been, has been forgiven by God, it's forgiven. But shame keeps you going back to that place and, and, and being hit in the head with it, hit in the face with it. Over and over and over again, shame will remind you of everything you've ever done wrong. You know what that? You know how that is when sometimes you're trying to be cool and in your little zone in life, and all of a sudden, stuff just keeps popping in your head. You remember when you and you remember when you did this, and you remember when you did that, and, and, and that feeling of shame and that feeling of unworthiness, that feeling of oh my God, I don't want anybody to know who I really am because if they knew, they wouldn't like me, they wouldn't love me. Shame. Shame is like, and we a lot of talk about the legal system lately with the O.J. movie and, and, the, um, and then the finding of the knife, the knife. That's probably, uh, sounds like, yeah, it sounds like a publicity ploy to me. Let's, uh, yeah. Uh, but, you know, we talk about prosecutors, the prosecutorial team uh, on that case, and they had their challenges. Marsha Clark and others, and they were really overwhelmed by that. And the, the dream team was, was you know, they kind of carried the day, right? But think about aggressive prosecutors. Shame is this kind of aggressive prosecutor that keeps basically prosecuting you 
trying to bring charges up on you over and over again, trying to make a case against you for things like your failed marriage in the past, trying to make a case against you for, for, that, for that child that you aborted or abandoned years ago that you've sought God's forgiveness for. You don't have to know what I'm talking about, but somebody knows. Uh, it, those past criminal actions, those things that you did that, that were illegal and immoral and wrong, but you've come to the foot of the cross. And, and one day you went into the waters of baptism and came up saved and you came to this table week in month in and month out years and years ago but the devil brings that shame to make you feel that you're less than worthy because of what you did in the past shame will 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 will, will grill you that 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 prosecutor will grill you about lost opportunities you know you should have you know one of the i'm i'm at the age now where i i can look back over i got a lot of regrets if i want to count them up right because I've had a lot of choices to make, and some of you haven't had as many. As you go on, you make more and more. And so then you could spend all your time looking back, say, you know what, what if I had done this then, if in 1975, and sometimes I go down that route, and first of all, my wife will always stop me if I go down that route. But I start thinking like that, and, and the Lord helps me to always remember that is just absolutely counterproductive. Woulda, coulda, shoulda. What difference does it make? Because there's nothing in your life in this present moment that you can undo from your past. There's nothing from your past that you can go back and fix or change. But shame will, will keep you in that loop of contemplating the things, the mistakes that you've made at some past point in time and thinking about the choices that you could have made differently and what you should have done and what it would have been like if you had done it this way. Don't matter what it would have been like if I had done done this. I didn't do it this way. So this is who I am, and this is where I live. Shame. This, this, it's a kind of relentless internal interrogation. Guilt versus shame. Guilt. See, this is what guilt does. Guilt leads to what the Bible describes in Second Corinthians seven: godly sorrow. So guilt. In other words, I did wrong. I feel guilty, and rightfully so call it the conviction of the Holy Spirit when we as Christians, when we have a finely tuned conscience so that when we sin, we, we know that we sin and we ask, uh, we seek God's forgiveness. Guilt leads to godly sorrow. Godly sorrow results in us confessing and forsaking our sin, repenting of wrongdoing. Second uh, Corinthians 7 verse 10 says this, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. That's why we never want to rid ourselves of all conviction, right? You know, sometimes we, we, get, we, we want to make sure that we are always sensitive to issues of right and wrong, issues of, 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 of biblical living, issues of godly character. Guilt, uh, godly sorrow leads to repentance. But look what he says in the second half of the verse. Check that out. He says, but shame produces, no, I'm sorry, he says, but worldly sorrow brings death. 2 Corinthians 17, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation, but worldly sorrow brings death. What is he talking about, worldly sorrow? I'm telling you, I, I think that what Paul is alluding to is shame. There's a kind of sorrow that says, I am wrong in this moment, and I got to deal with my situation. I got to do something differently. And you say, that's a drag. That's, that's, dude, that's like a total bummer. But I'll tell you what, it's a wonderful thing when you're wrong and God enables you to get back on track. It's a wonderful thing when you're wrong and you can simply, it's wonderful in relationships when you mess up and people can say, okay, fine. And then you say, I'm sorry. And they love you because it's like, you can, you can change, you can grow, you can turn around. God, that's godly sorrow. 
But worldly sorrow, from Paul's perspective, is what we see as shame. Worldly sorrow is just you wrong, you bad, you down and out. You see what a failure you are. You see how you mess up. You know how it is. Some of you have been there when you were in a hole, spiritually speaking, and you were making mistakes and you were living raggedy lives and you were kind of stuck down there because every time you thought about getting out the hole, there was something telling you, oh, you know, you ain't, you ain't no better than this. This is who you are. You just being who you are. You just like your daddy. You just like your granddaddy. You just like your great-granddaddy, your uncles and your cousins and all of them. Worldly sorrow, shame. The, the fear of exposure lies at the heart of shame. And then a shame-based person will guard against people knowing the, the true self. They will, they'll guard against them ex- having to expose who they really are, their inner self, to others. But even more poignantly, they guard against being real even within them. Those who are afflicted by shame tend to be highly self-deceitful and self-deluding. So we engage in covering, don't we? Hiding, don't we? Concealing, don't we? Oh, it takes me back to, to Adam and Eve because they experienced the same emotion. And it's interesting that God's story of, of, of salvation history, he begins by showing us how... Uh, how Adam and Eve, the first human beings, how they, they dealt right away with this issue of shame. Because, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. He created man, and then he created the woman and put them there in the garden, right? He says, eat all these other trees, but don't eat at that tree over there. And, uh, and, and blah, 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 blah. The serpent comes, right, and, and beguiles Eve. Uh, and then she basically, uh, you know, lures her husband in, and they eat, and they're in, in the trouble. But in 225 Genesis, it says this at the beginning, at the beginning of the story. Adam and, his wife, Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. See, this is the first time and the, probably the last time in human history until the cross, in, in, in a sense. It says they were, and so there's, there's, there's some metaphorical depth to this. It's not just, a, not just the fact that they didn't have clothes. They didn't need them. But it was the fact that they stood before God totally open and honest as who they were. The fact that they were with one another with no secrets and no layers. Uh, we talk sometimes about the pristine state of, 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 of that environment there in, in, in the garden. This is, they're in this pristine environment. They have not been spoiled by sin. They're just total innocence. And they just, and, and since they were naked and not ashamed. But then, don't you wish that were the end of the story? Oh, but then in Genesis, going down into the third chapter, they, you know, the serpent beguiles Eve and they eat the fruit. And then it says, verse 7 of chapter 3, then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man in his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he uh, was walking in the garden and uh, in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. You read that two or three times, you realize this is, 
Sin sure can make you look stupid. I mean, but that's what shame, I mean, immediately upon their transgression, they're plunged into shame. Boom, they're in there. It's like, wow. And and so they they do these things that they they run from God. But you know, and and I want to help you understand this, you you could try to run, and you know, they always tell you, you can run, but you can't hide. And it's true, you can run, but you can't outride, un, outrun, rather, shame's accusations. They run from God, they're trying to hide from God. They hid, but there's no refuge from shame. And if you're dealing with shame in your life that's been dogging you, you know that you can't run from it and you can't hide from it. When you think you've, you've escaped it and you look around the corner, it's, it's come up on the other side of you. You never get away from it. You can't hide from it. They try to hide. How are you going to hide from God? They try to cover themselves with fig leaves. But there is no humanly crafted covering that will enable us to cover our shame. And then in this moment, there are three fundamental human relationships right in this one moment that that are literally ripped apart. First of all, the relationship between people and God, between Adam and God, the relationship between humankind and God. In that moment, that relationship is is, is, is ripped apart. The relationship of people with one another, with each other. All of a sudden, because you know what happens, God says, I'm going to put enmity between you, your seed, and the woman. All of a sudden, back in that pristine state, I guess Adam and Eve would have had a really cool marriage, right? Probably with no trash to take out, no bills to pay. Um, and uh, there's no sin, so there's nothing to argue about because we're both holy. We ain't messed up, right? But, you, I mean, after this, man, it is on. All the craziness that we experience in relationship because that's what sin and that's what shame does because we're trying to, we're trying to, to, to cover our shame and we, we're trying to protect our dignity and it, 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 it influences how we interact with others. But not only does, did it rip apart the relationship between, uh, between uh, God and, and people and between people and other people, but between we and ourselves, in other words, within ourselves, people with themselves, within, we are at war in our own spirits. And so they're plunged into this spiral of shame. And guess what? I hate to tell you this, but they threw us under the bus too. They took us down with them. And we deal with the same one writer observed three things about this. Said, number one, shame covers, causes us to cover up our mess through inadequate means. Fig leaves? Like, really? You've got to be kidding me. But grabbing for anything, you know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. When you, I'm just looking for anything that can, can help me for this moment to quiet that voice of shame in my head or to, to, to protect my dignity in front of other people because I am so afraid of being dishonored and disrespected and, and unloved and, and rejected and shamed by others because I've been shamed before. And you know when you've been shamed before, you don't want to be shamed no more. And so... Shame causes us to cover our mess through inadequate means. It causes us to seek refuge in ridiculous places. Again, going back to what we just read, how are you going to run from God in the garden he gave you? That's like trying to get away from me in my house. I know every nook and cranny. And I got, 
you know, this is God's world. God has made it. And they're trying to, to run from God. And then, then shame causes us to run from the one we should run to. All the time. We should run to God and we should reach out to God and we should pursue God or we should respond to his loving overtures towards us. But, but shame will cause us to run away from him because we fear being real and true even with God himself. Shame causes us to run from each other when we need each other. Shame causes us to neglect the, the, the coming together in, in, in any kind of circle of, 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 of committed relationship because we don't want to be seen for who we really are. Sometimes we're not up to the work that we feel it will take for us to maintain the facade that we are living behind. I'm talking about shame this morning. Let me go a little bit further. There, there, there are probably five general areas in our lives where shame is manifest. There is shame that we have all inherited through the, guy, the people that we just read about, the guys, Adam and Eve. That, 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 that shame is, 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 is shared throughout all of humanity, throughout all of history. It is inherited by Adam and Eve's transgressions. We are all, we are all recipients of that. The good news for us today is that, that the, the root of that shame was, was, was destroyed. Uh, 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, he shed his blood and his body was broken for us. That shame has been broken, but it's real and it's, it, it, it is a factor in our lives. The second thing is, is uh, the kind of individual shame from the things that we really personally do. Sometimes you are ashamed because you've done wrong. And that's, there are things in, in your past that you may say, I'm, I'm, I'm ashamed of that. And that's, that's one form of shame. That's not illegitimate and that's not necessarily bad. Uh, you know, if you, if you like, if you used to be in a, you know, a tagger and you tagged my house, you should feel guilty that years ago you did that. Or you tagged the church. You should feel bad about that. In a sense that you've been forgiven and you can move on, but it was wrong and I'm not proud. You understand the difference? Because you have to be careful. So we say, I'm forgiven. And so then we just get, like, then we get cocky about it. Yeah, I was, I was robbing banks and I was robbing them good too. Yeah, I killed some folk here. I snuffed. No, no, no. What you did was wrong and you have a certain humility about that. Individual shame uh, is the legitimate shame we have for the things that are legitimately wrong. And it is not the kind of shame that will bind us or confine us because it is answered by repentance and, and, and change of life. But then there's this kind of generational shame. Now that's where, this is where it gets a little dicey. There is shame that gets passed down from generation to generation in our families of origin. Shame that our mom and daddy passed on, or there might be just one area that they passed on to us. And if we're not careful, we pass it on to our children. If we fail to root it out, to get to the bottom, to understand what it is. And that's not to say that like, all the God's people, we're all a big mess. We are, but listen, we have to be attentive to the fact that there are things, there are things that get that get passed along if we, in our own lives, in our own hearts, don't deal with. Uh, and they get duplicated, they get passed along, and you see this. We see certain things that go several generations deep, and the answer to that is repentance and change and dealing with things as they are. And then there is imposed shame. Now, you should know about that. Any of y'all go to grade school? 
I'm not going to tell you the things that kids used to call me, and I don't want to know the things they used to call you because some of them you probably can't say in church. But, man, you know that growing up can be brutal. And, what, and, and we, when we're kids, we're just playing with each other, but some kids play harder than others with the verbal thing. And what happens is some people don't realize, they, they, depending on who you are and the strength of your, your constitution and your ego strength, people are speaking things over you and to you and at you and on you that, that, that generate shame that follows you for, for years, for your life. The things that, are, that, that don't say to us when we're children. I told you, I, I, I remember I did something in elementary school, and uh, it was stupid. It was, I never did anything, like, really bad, okay? Just want you to know, so you pass it with that. I wasn't, like, an axe murderer or a bank robber. But I'm in stupid. I, did, I always did stupid stuff, you know? And, uh, and, and this, I remember this, this one lady, I think it was my teacher. She was so negative. She told, I mean, she told me, she said, she just kept reading. It was, and you know, you when you were a kid, you know when something like really important and something's not so important. And this wasn't like that important. I forget what it was. That's why I know it's not that important because I never did anything with it when I was a kid. I was a good kid. But so, but she just she just kept tearing, trying to tear me. She said, "This is going in your cube, and that's going to follow you the rest of your life." I got a copy of my LAUSD cube, and it's not in there. But. And that was fairly innocuous because I was able to kind of roll it off. I was a little kid. I was like, I was a little scared at first. Oh, wow. I've got a record. I'm in the third grade. <laughs> but, but, but there are people, people will impose shame on you. And we have to be careful because when, when people around us are, are in error, when they're wrong, when they're messing up, when they're doing silly stuff, and, it's, and, I, and I, we struggle. I know as parents, as, as family members, as brothers and sisters in the Lord, make sure that you, we deal with the behavior and the issue without, without shame casting. Uh, sometimes we think that we have to play God, and so we have to make people feel sufficiently bad, not just about what they're doing, but about themselves, in order that we may help to reform them. And so, so we do tell them, you, this is like, you know what, you know, you need to pull up them sagging pants. You know, that's, that's what you might want to tell you. But, you know, we, we just want to, we go way in. You know what? You ought to be ashamed of yourself. You ain't nothing. You just walking around here. You ain't worth the, the you, know, you know, we just go, you know what I'm saying? And we, and we inflict, we want to, and sometimes, and I'll give you an extreme example there, but sometimes in more innocent ways, we've, we shame people to try to get them to do better, but we need to be careful because sometimes we are imposing shame on them that they won't be able to shake easily going throughout their lives. And sometimes I know we mean no harm, but that's, that becomes a big deal. Because when we do things like make people feel that they're stupid, make people feel that they're no good, that they're useless, that they're, that they're, they're a waste of space. Some things, child of God, you should never say to another human being. Some things you should never speak out of your... And you say, well, you know, I'm going to tell you, I've been married 40 years, and I'll tell you, between this woman and me, there's some things that we would never say to each other or anybody else, and I guarantee that. And most of you, if you know me, you know that I, you, you know that the only person I might call stupid is the guy who cuts me off on the freeway, and I don't really know him, so it doesn't count. But some of us as children, we were called stupid. 
Some of us were called idiots because some of us were called stupid because we simply tipped over the milk glass. We were called dumb because we needed help with homework. We were called names and labeled by things that demeaned us and, and, and that diminished us. And, and, and it, not, it ought not to be so because those words we speak, they can, they can, they can be words of life or they can be words of death. And they cut like a knife. You're right. And then there's one other form of shame. And it's institutional shame. That's the kind of shame that in, 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 this, in, in, the, in, the, in the discourse right now today, there's a lot of talk about racial issues in our country. Because there are a lot of things that we would have hoped were settled oh, during the civil rights era. There are a lot of things we hope were settled. Oh, we hope were settled upon the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. There are a lot of things we would have hoped were settled by the early 20th century, which we know have gone on and on. And we're still having discussions about real concerns that we wish we weren't having to discuss because they're real. But part of the issue is that there is this, there is this institute. I mean, there's what's called systemic racism. And it, it is something that's present in American society towards uh, and, and from everybody. Everybody kind of has their own thing, you know. Because, man, you know, my dad... He had a, a pejorative term for every other nationality, and, and I can't use them. I said, you, you, you're an African-American man who came out of Texas in, in the second wave of the Great Migration for a better life, and you, these are the people that are like you. They just come from different countries. That he, but but it's, it's present. Shame gets embedded in societies and in systems and in companies and corporations and in various other entities. Shame. So this morning, here's the deal. One thing is common to any kind of shame that we just mentioned is that it, it, it will keep you bound to your past. One of the things we all need to do to, 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 be, to live the, the good life, to, to live the abundant life, is we need to be able to live in the present and move forward into the future without all of the baggage of our past. We will forever be learning to do that throughout this life because you, I, again, I... I've got a backup camera in my car, and it doesn't even come on in drive. And I guess there's a good reason why they wired. I wonder, how come I can't see out where I'm going? Because you're not supposed to be trying to drive forward looking in the rearview mirror camera. But we're trying to live, and we're still, we're still, we're still dealing with stuff. And again, I, I, I have a healthy respect for self-reflection and for, for int- and, you know, introspection. There's a place for that. There's a place. Sometimes God will take you back 40 years ago to an incident and help you to learn something. Sometimes God will show you something from the past that's wrong that you needed to deal with. Sometimes God will say, you could have done that differently. And you say, yes, Lord. And guess what? He's not like we are because... Because the reason why some of you are so loath to be honest with other people, the reason why we have a hard time doing community, the reason why we have a hard time talking to people is because you know if you tell somebody, you know, I did this and so, you know, they're going to, first of all, they're going to make the face. They're going to say, what? Then they're gonna, I'm so disappointed in you. I just never thought, oh, my God. And then they'll go from there, well, but, you know, I'm going to pray with you. I'm pray- but just oh my, and then they they're, and then they're gonna they're gonna literally beat it. You just oh God, I pray for my brother right now. But oh God, he is so wrong. <laughs> you know we we go on and on and on. But the thing God doesn't do that. God will take you back. He'll say, see that you got it. You know, and you say yeah. He said good. Now move on. God will show you the point and God will take you on to, because there's a reason for the lesson. It's not just to make you feel bad and to bring shame to your life. And so uh, 
as we go to this table this morning, I want you to, to, to join me as we proclaim that Jesus, when he died on the cross, died not only for your sin, but he died for your shame. And we need to do this by, number one, acknowledging, acknowledging the fact that there is shame in our lives. Some of you say, I ain't got to, you think about it. Because I'm going to tell you, some of us are we're really cool and confident, but part of the reason we appear so cool and confident is that there's a deep root of shame that we are, we are desperately trying to hide from ourselves and everybody else. So I've got to be cool. I've got to look like I have money. I've got to seem important. I've got to talk louder than everybody else. I've got to be famous because I've I got, I got to hide the real pain of the real me and what's really going on on the inside. got to acknowledge that you've got it. Uh, David said, Psalm 32, 3 and 4, he said, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. You got to just deal with this stuff. Then you act on it. He says in Psalm 38, 18, he said, I will declare my iniquity. I will be in in anguish over my sin. And then you address it. He says, I acknowledge my sin to you and you forgave my sin. You ask God to forgive you. You accept the gift of forgiveness. You accept the gift of forgiveness. No matter what you've done in your past. There's a police coming for you right now. (laughs) See there? You thought it was a cold case. (laughs) It then warmed up. No, No matter what you've done in the past, no matter what shame evoking words have been spoken over you by your parents, by your spouse, by your, by your friends, by your church, by your, by your pastor, anybody. No, no matter what the source of your shame, as we observe communion, I would point your attention to the one who was shameless in his very essence. The scripture says of Jesus that he was without sin, hence he had nothing to be ashamed about. But uh, so there was no shame driving Jesus as a child. Uh, as a young man, there was no shame in his life. There, there was no unwholesome compulsion in him resulting from his past. He was the one individual that ever lived that, that inhabiting human flesh who had never failed, never sinned, never messed up. Jesus had nothing to be ashamed of. You hear what I'm saying? And yet Jesus, the son of God, willingly went to that cross on Golgotha. Yet Jesus took upon himself the shame and the pain and the sin and the blame of you and me and all of humanity. Jesus had nothing to be ashamed of, but he willingly experienced shame in order to release you and me from its grip. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2 says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. In other words, what the text means there is that the writer is saying, he basically looked at the the shame, and rather than say, you know what, I can't do this, because it's going to be, I'm going to get embarrassed. My feelings are going to get hurt. You know how we, you know, I'm like, I ain't going to go there, because them people ain't going to like me. Jesus is looking, he endures the cross. He's looking toward the cross. He realizes that I'm going to walk down this road, and I'm the one who created all of humanity. I'm the one who spoke to, I'm the one, I was with God when he spoke the world into existence. I am the living word of God. I am the son of God. Come into the world, never spoke a wrong word, never did a wrong thing, came in and healed and blessed and and touched people. But I'm going to walk down this road, and I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be despised and rejected. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, 
beaten and whipped. I'm going to be scourged. I'm going to be, I'm going to be ridiculed and mocked and made fun of. I'm going to be treated like the scum of the earth. And they're going to, they're going to subject me to the most humiliating and the, the most heinous form of of, of execution. There's ways to take people out, but they're going to do the, the, the slow one where they hang you up on a cross j- just about naked for everybody to see and with spikes through your hands and your feet and you die a slow and agonizing death while people jeer you and mock you. And so there he was, God who is love, God who, who, who created everything, God that upholds everything, and he's being subjected to all this shame. Why is he going through this shame? He's going for it. He faced it head on. He wouldn't allow the experience of shame thrust upon him to deter him from the joy of bringing many sons and daughters to glory, freeing them from the shackles of sin and shame. And so he endured the most humiliating and and painful death imaginable. Paul talks about the offense of the cross. You know why the cross is such a scandal during the first century? Because it's like, that's your Messiah? That's like your God guy, he died on a cross. This only, only losers die on the cross. Only misfits die. Only the, 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 low, the lowest rung of society is it's offensive that the cross becomes a symbol of victory. The cross becomes a symbol of, of, of God's power. The cross becomes a symbol of forgiveness. No, the cross is embarrassing. did it for you and me. By his own shame, he paid our debt for sin. By his own shame, he brought it about the possibility that we could be liberated from the shackles of shame that bind us. See, a judge can suspend your sentence, but only God can remove through Jesus, God removed the guilt. It's gone. So there's nothing to be ashamed of. Uh, No matter what shame has been secretly and silently tormenting you. No matter what shame has been driving you. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And if you don't know someone who's, if if you're not driven, you know someone who's driven and you know what that looks like. No matter the extent to which shame has compromised your existence and robbed you of the abundant life. And if you're under its, its power, it undoubtedly has. Jesus bore not only your sin, but he bore your shame. Jesus says to you, my friend, he says, the past is past. Did you hear what I said? Jesus says the past is past. Jesus, said, Jesus says this, listen, I got a handle on your scandal. It, it, it ain't nothing, I can't deal with what you've been through and what you've gone through. Jesus reminds us of what I preached a few months ago. He says, when I said there is no condemnation to those in Christ, he says, no means no. I don't care what the naysayers say. I don't care what your mama says. I don't care what your pastor says. If I say you are forgiven, if my blood has washed you, what you do is you stand in the strength of that. Uh, your, your family dynamics ca- can't define you unless you allow them to. Your past can't diminish your standing before God. Your inadequacies and peculiarities, peccadillos, he's a word, cannot disqualify you unless you let them. Oh, this morning, I, would you just, are you grateful for the grace of God? Are you grateful for the grace of God? Because this is what happened. 
We talk about amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We talk about the fact that we've been saved. Ephesians says we've been saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Sh- you know, shame will drive you, but grace calls you. You get the difference? Shame will torment you, but grace will heal you. Shame will, will imprison you, but grace will free you. Shame will cause you to live in constant fear. Grace will make you bold as the lion from the tribe of Judah as you stand on the, in the strength that's God and you stand on the grace of God, the power of God, and the word of God. So this morning, think for a moment about the way in which shame has been placed or has placed you on a kind of treadmill. I'm, some of you, if you know my fitness thoughts, you, and I, 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 if you have a treadmill, God bless you. Treadmills are wonderful. If, if I lived back east, I'd have one because you, you can't go outside. I've, I've been outside this week. I was outside a couple weeks ago. It was like in the 50s. And, and then I'm out, and it's like in a, it's 90. That's L.A. If I lived in Boston. But you know the thing about a treadmill that bugs me is that you just you don't go nowhere. <laughs> so I like to I like to go somewhere. So you know, so uh, so I go I go I walk five miles. Uh, did about three times this week. I'll ride my bike. You know, I like to go play. I like to get in my car. I like to go. You know, I don't like I don't just like going sit. You know, you ever just go and sit in the car in the driveway? I'm just sitting in the car. <laughs> no. I, I want to go somewhere. If I'm going to sit, we're going to at least drive around the block, right? Uh, think for a moment in which the, the way in which shame has placed you on this kind of treadmill. And you're always seeking to outrun God, but guess what? That's a losing proposition. Think about how you try to hide from God and hide from others and hide from reality. Think about how we hide within the confines of our carefully constructed false self. You know what I'm talking about. And we generate that false self to attenuate the pain. Uh, I'm not going to let you know who, this is who I really am. Ten times more successful than, I'm going to show you the one that's ten times more successful than the real me. And guess what? If you ain't as successful as the, the you that you portray, that's quite all right. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Where, whoever you are or wherever you are in life, God bless you. There's nothing to be ashamed of. But there's something inside. Oh, people won't respect me if, I don't, if I'm not at this level. If I don't have this education. If I don't have this, I don't have. God wants to set you free from that. How we run from friendships and relationships, how we retreat into the small place of our own making. This morning, let's make up our minds that we'll allow the blood of Jesus to bring us out into the open. You know what I'm saying? That we will seek refuge in God, who is our refuge and strength, not running from him. Because the Bible says this, love covers over a multitude of sin. So that we can live out in the open. In other words, love covers over our sins so we can uncover. You hear what I'm saying? Love covers our sins so we can disclose who we are because who I am is not defined by my sin and past failures. It was covered with the blood of Jesus. And so, we're Adam and Eve, naked and not ashamed. And then they go from that to covered and fearful and shameful. Through Christ, we have been delivered from being covered and cloaked in shame, fear, and self-loathing 
to being in the spirit as we were when we were created, before the presence of God, naked and not ashamed. You get what I'm saying? Jesus took us back, not only not in the physical sense, but in the spiritual sense. They, their nakedness, their, their openness with one another with God because of the purity of their lives. Your purity has been restored before God. You've got issues. You've got stuff we all do. But we can be open and honest with God. We don't have to run and hide from him. We don't have to construct fig leaves. You know what I'm saying? You know what your fig leaves might be, right? Things that you put, you sew together to try to cover up who you are. We, we can be who we are with one another. We can risk intimacy. We can risk relationship. We can risk honesty because he bore our shame. Amen. Elders, come on up.